time, weather, and... Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Che and Pav Show, Teachers Talking Teaching. We are two middle school teachers sharing our reflections and insights about the topics that matter the most in the classroom. Join us in the hallway, the parking lot, or even in the staff room. Episode 115 of the Chain Pav Show. Thank you for joining us as we sit around the table to talk teaching. Today we have a conversation about a little bit of a trending topic, quiet quitting. How does this concept fit in with education? Before we get into this conversation, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Pav Wander. And I only make up just slightly over 50% of the Che and Pav show. The other near half is sitting next to me, and I'll let him introduce himself. Well, you ain't run like Hayes, but you hit like Che the Hurricane <laughs> Cheney, which means dead bull. So if you're playing third base, you can take that at bat off. And technically, I am 50% of the Che and Pav show, <laughs> and then I quit. It's not quietly. It's loud. It's obnoxious. I quit. Was that from a league of their own? <laughs> no. <laughs> if only you could see how much you're laughing at yourself. You pulled away from the mic. You are so enjoying that because you know how much that's... Every time I reference Major League, Major League, Major League, Major League, you reference this other obscure baseball movie. <laughs> Madonna was in it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Che. It's so nice to be sitting here next to you talking about this topic. Um I know it's not going to be a quiet one. I know that there's going to be a lot that we discuss uh, because it, it sort of had us fired up in many different ways. But we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, there's this section called banter that comes before. I'm about to say, you're yeah. jumping over banter and anecdote <laughs> and to say anecdote. what we're going to talk about. That's right. So we up. have a little bit of time. That's why I don't do this. I ain't this up for that. <laughs> I ain't up for that. I'm up for banter. Uh, you know, Pav... Um, we can banter all we want, mm -hmm. but of course, I also add a, a few little, uh, you know, show notes, so yeah. to speak, uh, things that are coming up. Our translations yes. of the Magnificent Microphone are almost near completion, and, you know, we've been talking about this for a while, but I want to give some shout outs because writing the book, having the book illustrated, doing our first book, that was a big job. Mm -hmm. I, I would almost argue, you want to know what's an even bigger job? Is to find authentic voices mm -hmm. that take manic, 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 man
Meniscus? <laughs> Meticulous. <laughs> oh, just referring back to my knee injury. Yeah. Right back to sports. Meniscus? Yes. Notes. Meniscus notes. Um, to go over word for word, ensure that it's right, ensure that it matches. Editor, um, Daphne going over and over and over again. The amount of effort and time to ensure that these are done authentically and properly has probably been even more daunting than just writing and illustrating the book. Not that I want to speak for Shauna because she had to illustrate it. I just had to look at the pictures and go, ooh, those are nice, eh? Um, but it's been a real project. And it reminds me on the social justice uh, theme a little bit. I know this is supposed to be banter, supposed to be funny, is how tough it is to get really responsive and responsible work done because it's so easy to just say, this is too big a task. There's not enough reward coming from this. There's not enough payoff coming from this. And Codebreaker and Brian and Daphne and our four translators mm-hmm. uh, have committed themselves to doing work that I would argue is really, really important. It is the deep work. And I know we're really appreciative and really proud of this project about to be uh, to coming out. So I thought I'd give that a shout out. And you can find out more by subscribing to our newsletter. Mm-hmm. Because I've been talking about doing a newsletter for a long time. But if you know the Chain Pap dynamic, I talk about these things. And then I just look over and Pap's, please do it because I can't, please. <laughs> and so Pap this morning or maybe the other morning, a few mornings ago, well, you know, I was at work slaving in my, cl- I don't want to say slaving, I take that back, reverse, working hard in my classroom to get it all ready. And, you know, you're prepping for your new job. Right. So <laughs> By you- working on our <laughs> newsletter. <laughs> By League of Their Own. Yes. And you produced this wonderful newsletter and got it out. And we were pleased to finally get it out there because when you talk about quiet quitting, I'll bring this back to this before we actually talk about it. It's tough to be just two teachers committed morally and ethically to their job, which knows that there's no real, or maybe there is such a thing as quiet quitting on teaching. I don't know if you really can. Is it to engage in these other projects? It really does take a lot of time when you're, we're producing our podcast and doing our presentations. You think it's just a newsletter, but these things take time. So Pat, mm-hmm. as much as I showed all that appreciation for all our work on our translations, I show you a little appreciation now, mm-hmm. not for absolutely butchering Major League, but <laughs> for doing a great job on our newsletter. Thank you, Jay. And I know you appreciate my comedy, so uh, I, I make jokes like that just to just to see you laugh sometimes, yes, and, I, and that gives me joy. As so. I've shared before, I, some, I, I blame myself for not finding you funny. <laughs> Listen, I'm one of the three people in this world you find funny. This is true. I yeah. do not find many people funny, so I I'm, I'm really appreciate you trying to entertain me with jokes. <laughs> I ain't laughing. Yeah, I don't find you funny, and I don't blame you. I blame myself. But I know, blame myself for not finding folks funny. The look on your face when I tell a joke that I know is funny and <laughs> it just makes me laugh. So it brings me joy. So either way, whether you laugh or not, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to make a joke in you, front of you. You know, Pav, I look to myself first. Why do I not find Pav funny? <laughs> what, is wrong yes, with, <laughs> what is wrong with me? But you're absolutely right. Thank you to our translators for the magnificent microphone because this... Uh, project obviously would not have been where it is if it was not for uh, Monsieur Steve, uh, Shyama Sundar, uh, Gurdeep Banga, and Rabia Kokar. Thank you so much. And Rabia's mom, because uh, they this was a joint project between the two of them. And um, from what Rabia tells us, it was a real great opportunity for them to bond as well in doing this translation. So 
we loved working with our four translators for this and we loved working with Brian and Daphne from Codebreaker um, who were so supportive and saw our vision and wanted to help us see it to fruition. So uh, thank you to everybody involved in this project and it's probably only just like a week or two weeks away from being published and out into the world and we're so excited about that and so um, yeah, it's been a long time and it's been a lot of hard work and, and we're, we're happy to see it. Um, coming to light now. Yeah. Pav, you know what else is really fun? Is that we haven't recorded two episodes within a span of three days since like the heyday of yeah. COVID when we had nothing to do but record podcast right. episodes. We've known the last, not even the summer, we were struggle. It might be the wrong word. So many things going on mm -hmm. to find that consistent time where we could lock down the Friday nights, the drive yeah. on Sunday, Sunday evenings because there was nothing else going on in the world that we were... Uh, connected to but now our schedules have, have just taken off and when we've recorded a lot of our episodes there's big gaps yeah. it's a lot of times like what's this thing what does this button do what does this move what do you mean i'm muted what do you mean we didn't record any of this what i got to record what and today it's yeah. like hey, this feels good because i just did this three days ago there's no hesitation there's no right. there's no discomfort <laughs> There's no discomfort. That's right. We did a lot of reflecting and exploration, mm. uh, and we have figured out what the problem uh, was. You know, I've wanted this to be a singular episode. Our contesting the vernacular be comfortable with the discomfort or get uncomfortable or we do our learning through uh, getting uncomfortable. You know, I, you know, I got a whole rant. I can give myself a headache before we even get into the anecdote on this one. So I'll save it. That's a teaser. I think that that's, that's a, a teaser. That's probably a really good one for an interlude, Che. Maybe you want to kickstart those again. You know, as my grandfather used to say, the reason he talked to himself is the best conversation he could get all day. <laughs> I won't argue with that. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll be right back with a little anecdote to get this episode started. Wonderful. Get your, get your hands up. And you're listening to the Che and Pav Show. Da, 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 da. All right, an anecdote. How did we decide to, to pick quiet quitting? Mm -hmm. um, you brought it up first. You've been right. very aggressive with these topics recently. Um, I was aggressive with this one um, mm. because, well... I had been seeing this concept of quiet quitting on TikTok and on social media for some time. And I'd been seeing the phrase kind of circulating. And it wasn't until I saw a panel discuss the topic on like CBC News Morning or something one day. And, um, and you, they, the, you needed CBC to verify your TikTok. I guess so. <laughs> you know, I, like on TikTok, it was one of those things where I would see it and I would just kind of scroll past it. Mm -hmm. and I was just like, I don't know what this is. Like, I, I honestly, I thought quiet quitting was just walking away from your job and not telling anybody that you were leaving. <laughs> That's what I understood it to be. That's like, what I oh, do at staff. concept of quiet quitting. Yeah. Like, I'm just leaving. I'm never showing up again. Yeah, that's what I do at staff meetings. <laughs> yeah. And so where are you going, Mr. Jenny? Uh, just whoosh, quietly it, quit. It, it just it wasn't something that interested me. And then I like I, I watched the news on in the mornings on the weekends with my coffee and there was a panel and they were discussing this idea of quiet quitting. And I was sort of paying attention and and, and I was like, oh, OK, so this is work to rule. This is in, in the world of education. Quiet quitting is essentially just doing what your contract is telling you to do. And and so I thought, you know, they weren't um, the, the people that were the panelists for this conversation were not educators or within the education realm 
Um, but they were talking about this idea of quiet quitting being, you know, just setting boundaries for yourself within the workplace and, you know, just not going above and beyond. And, you know, you, you, you log into your computer at nine o'clock at five o'clock, regardless of what's going on around you, you, you log out, you go home and you set those boundaries for yourself to maintain that, uh, mental wellness, that mental health that everybody talks so much about, but are we actually doing it to take care of ourselves? And, uh, and so they were going back and forth and I thought the conversation was fascinating and I thought it would be a great topic for us to have uh, with, within the realm of education. How does quiet quitting apply within education? Because as you and I talked about, this is not a new concept. This is not a new topic. This is something that educators uh, talk about a lot, particularly teachers and support staff talk about a lot in education, it comes up well for us every two years when our contracts are up and we have to talk about, you know, our workload and what we're getting in in um, in return for the amount of work that we are doing that is not contractually obligated. Um, and so I thought that this would be a, a great time to bring in this conversation, this topic of quiet quitting into the education realm and sort of hash it out and, and see what it means. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing. No, I'm laughing because as you're telling your anecdote, I remember how I responded to you saying this is what we were doing. And you were passionate about the conversation. I remember me telling you, stop, stop, because we won't have anything to talk about if you tell me all <laughs> yes. on the phone. Stop it. You did. You said, just stop talking right now. <laughs> and I remember uh, when we brought this up, I wasn't I wasn't as into it. And I, I started to drop a few other topics. You said, that's a that's a good topic. Oh, that's a good topic, Jay. I like that topic. And inside I'm going, so no. So no, so no. And then, I, and then as we were talking, I started to come up with episode titles. And I said, quiet quitting, what is that? And you proceeded to start telling me what quiet quitting was. I said, stop, I, I know what it is. That's the title of the episode. I was so confused. I was like, why are you asking you're, me what it, what it is? Are you not listening to me? What do you mean, what is it? I mean, that's the title of the episode, Pav. That's why I changed it to quiet quitting in education. And 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 so I think our anecdote it was is humorous. You were really fixated on this topic. Yeah. I wasn't as into it right away. Tried to try to we go around it a few other ways, and then we had that playful moment. But then, like many of our great topics, we're ranting so much off the mic that we've got to stop. Yeah, we've got to tell each other stop talking about this because uh, if you go into even off topic. When I think about recording podcasts and I think of when students are doing over and over and over again, I often say, if you blow, blow it, I don't want to say you blew it, but you blew it, eh, kid? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't go back and re-record it right away because you'll, you'll, it'll become so messy in your mind as to what you've said in the recording that's, that's right. working versus not working. I said, stop, yeah. walk away and come back to it a few days later and just go fresh again. And it's similar to our conversations that if we start conversating before, which is often before our episodes, if you give the behind the scenes, and of course there's... There's seven empty seats here in our live studio. If you were here watching, we won't talk to each other. We take our notes and we sort of like huddle off into other corners of the room. And then when you come over and like, what are you doing? Don't look at my notes. I'm not <laughs> are you ready t- to go? No, I'm not letting you take my stuff. That's right. And you said, yeah. oh, you're actually ready to go. Yeah. Um, when this came up, when I heard it, it was on talk radio. And it was funny. You talked about work to rule. I'm not sure if it really is the same as work to rule. In my notes I have here, it's really time to redefine this new term of quiet quitting, which is really not a new term uh, that came up. When it came up on the radio, in the end, the shock jock tried mm-hmm. to trivialize it by saying, it's just what the teachers are doing, work to rule. And I said, I, 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 don't, I don't know about that. And 
Pav, you brought up something that made me write notes right away. So I, I, it's going to be very random. Mm-hmm. This idea of social emotional learning. And we've, and we've talked so much about it the last three years. And you and I have really spoke on what are our systems doing to change in order to facilitate that. And ultimately, one could probably argue that they've made changes, but not enough. But also, it's also not solely institutions' responsibility. We have to set boundaries for ourselves. So we've become more aware of how much we have to do it. And so we do do it. And then all of a sudden, there's this pushback of this, I would almost call it weaponizing of quiet quitting. I think quiet quitting completely needs to be redefined. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the fact that angle you bring back. This is back to the social emotional learning that we all supposedly drank from this magic elixir mm-hmm. and are supposed to have learned so great in the last three years. But it seems like vernacular like this, quitting certainly has a negative connotation. And quiet, although it's not, I sometimes associate people using quiet as a negative. So it's like two negative words. And I don't think two negatives make a positive in this particular equation. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a math guy, but I take that back because we're all math folks. Um, and I come back to, I see, I, see, I see you're looking like, would you make one linear point? I do not make linear points. No, They're I'm all just over. letting you go. Um, when it comes to quiet quitting, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to work this out. And one thing that popped into my mind right away was on the radio, and they, they, they sort of backlashed education in the end, but they were talking about, you know, the notion was that people now aren't working as hard as people have in the past or people work previously. And I said, wait a second, wait a second. There, there's hard, steadfast data that always suggests that not everyone works really hard and is the byproduct of all productive outcomes in any institution, in anywhere, any realm that stuff is being produced. It is not equal distribution. Equal distribution is one of the things we talk about all the time that's almost impossible to ensure. It's not almost impossible. It is statistically proven impossible to ensure, but we always create models about equal distribution. In fact, willfully choosing not to try to solve a solution because we won't address what's really happening. And of course, this is the Pareto Principle. And, and you've probably heard of it as the 80-20 principle. Mm-hmm. And it's got a little bit of a mathematical equation to it. But predominantly, a small percentage of folks will do 50 plus percent of all the work of anything that requires any sort of production of, of, of product, of outcome, of creative content. And so the idea that people are quietly quitting really infers that people in the past have all worked really hard. And the data doesn't, doesn't suggest that. In fact, it tells you just the opposite businesses, institutions, anything where content's being created. It's a small percentage of people that are responsible for a mass production of the outcome. Now, and this is where I get caught on my own thoughts, Pav, Mm -hmm. because I know in teaching, teachers work hard. I I wouldn't subscribe to that theory, although I know the data suggests that's happened. And remind me something, this is purely anecdotal, and then you could just cut me right off. When I was a young teacher, I remember looking at the school happenings on the little newsletter. And I remember being so proud once that my name was like, this is happening, this is happening, this, and my name was attached to everything. And I wore like a banner, like, I'm doing all of this. And now I would look at that and cringe and say, what's going on in our school? And how come there's so much spotlight on myself? I wouldn't allow that to happen. But I was just thinking in, in a bigger concept of this me trying to grasp an understanding. I don't ever assert the teachers are quietly quitting with some negative connotation that they're just doing their job. But maybe if you're just doing your job, that your job should be important enough that you're, you're doing great work anyways. How come you have to do more? But in, uh, 
it's wild it's it is you know it's very difficult it's difficult in any um in any career to to sort of uh, hash out this this idea of quiet quitting and is it um is it a thing um i i first want to agree with you and it's something that i hadn't even really thought about uh th that the term quiet quitting needs to change because it is like double negative right and 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 even before I even know knew what quiet quitting meant, I already had this idea that it was far worse than what it actually was. It was people walking out on the job without telling anybody. And that's, that's where my mind actually went. It went quite literal. And so I don't like that term. So I'm going to start with that. I agree with you. Um, I also agree with you that this has to be something that is done in conjunction to solve this issue. It has to be done in conjunction um, between employers and the employees. So we're talking about the system and, you know, f here in education, I'll just start there. Um, adequate staffing is is a great place to start because what is one of the the biggest reasons why quiet quitting is happening is because there is too much on people's plates not enough being taken away from people's plates and people feeling like they need to set those boundaries mm. a lot of the time this will be solved by adequate staffing and we know we know that this is an issue in education especially uh, maybe more so in the United States when people are walking away from teaching, um, more so than in Canada and Ontario, I would say for sure, but it, it has been happening in Ontario as well. People walking away from the profession because you just cannot handle it you know, mentally, your, your, your wellness is at stake here. And so it, it has to be in conjunction with employers and employees, setting boundaries for yourself, knowing, you know, what is too much for me and what I can handle. But then also there is a responsibility on the part of the employer to make sure that your workplace is adequately staffed and that, that the distribution of work is, is equally distributed or, or more so distributed so that everything doesn't fall on that one person. And so when you were talking about, you know, your name showing up very often, um, sometimes that is because of the teacher taking on uh, a little bit more of the responsibility, which I will add is not sustainable. So, you know, it's not something that a teacher can continue to do year after year after maybe maybe there's a year where there's a little bit of extra time or there's a little bit more um, more pep and more, you know, uh, they're a little bit more anxious to do more stuff around the school, and that's fine, but it's not a sustainable action. Um, and then sometimes it's put on teachers. Sometimes it is like, okay, well, I know that you are capable of doing this, so I'm just going to give you this task because I know that you will take it on and you will do it. And then um, I will even add on to there, there are positions of responsibilities in schools where uh, sometimes that is really taken advantage of. And, um, you know, the, the chairperson in the school or the chair of a department will end up having to do a lot more because that is their role and that is something that they decided to take on. You took on this position of responsibility and so now this responsibility of things that, you know, maybe other teachers don't want to do is, is on you to do or to figure out how to do. And, uh, and so there's, it really has to be uh, in equal parts from the employer and the employee. There has to be a little bit of give and take here in order to handle this situation. Um, and then you talked about the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. And uh, you know, talking about that 20% that has done 50% of the workload as, as I understood it. And then it increases exponentially as you get bigger. Right. 
And so a question that I had as I was listening to this explanation was, how did that 20% get there in the first place? Now, was it because they actually did work harder than the other group of people? Mm. Or is it because the land that they happen to have, in, in the case of farming, uh, was more fertile? Or was it their name? Was it something that had to do with power? Was it mm. the connections that they had already made within their society? Um, was it money in the first place? Did they already come from a wealthy place and they could afford to produce more? So I, I would always be careful because it's there that 20%. I want to know where that 20% initiated from the first place. Was it solely from hard work? Is it ever just hard work that makes you get where you are? Or are there other factors in play? And that's something or that I want to explore a little bit further as well. Factors that allow you to work harder or, per, or give more incentive yes. to work harder. I, as that's you were right. talking, I mean, they sort of think of in certain schools, you know, certain teachers will be given, you know, extra preps here, there and to do things for the school. And then they mm. build up their resume for right. more productive. And, you know, uh, snowballs. I, I remember, you know, certain individuals, I don't, I'm going to I'm going to misuse the term gaslight, but being given all kinds of release time in schools to be able to facilitate important work, which was important work. But say important work that other folks were doing, they would have to do it in extracurricular time. So certain teachers were getting massive amounts of praise, but the infrastructure that allowed them to produce was greatly in their favor. That that's great that you reminded me of that. You know, you having taught now for 20 years, Pav, as you talked about infrastructure, the reason that teachers need to, to, to define what they're going to do and not do is because the redundancy of the amount of folks that could do jobs in school is dwindling. Mm -hmm. When I was coming up, when I was coming up in this job, we had a full-time PE teacher. You had a full-time librarian. Yeah. When I wrote an IEP, I wrote it in conjunction with the MART and the CERT and, and, and those support networks. Now, I have someone that watches me do the IEP right. because there's not enough people to help support all the IEPs that are going to be written. There's no additional PE teacher. We stripped the library down to the bare minimum, not because some individual wants, but the funding's not there. These are the first things to go. So now when I go into the library, I've got to facilitate a library period. Mm -hmm. where 15 years ago, I would the librarian would have been there, would have led with the read aloud, been excited to do something with students, would have allowed for these greater learning opportunities. Now, stretch so thin. When I go in the library and I also have to facilitate a library period and I have to facilitate a quality physical education program because that gym teacher's not there, you do start to get burnt out. So if the system is going to constantly take and erode the system, hoping that I'm going to constantly bear the burden, even I make a... Um, simple analogy when COVID started you know what attendance was it was a quick folder activity you could do it with students you could sort of uh not that I would advocate doing it with students but it was just like you're just checking it off it's going down the office students grabbing the folder taking the folder down there was sort of it became like a community job to help mm -hmm. with attendance mm -hmm. now with COVID you know you couldn't send anyone down so teachers all had to learn how to use the computer system and so what's happened now that we've returned well now we've just made a new elaborate computer system so i got to sit at the computer and do attendance i know it's important it's not something to trivialize but it's something that just plays a little bit on your point rather than coming in and solely focusing on what i would have focused on and attendance would have been part of that but not quite as i got to sit at my computer i got to open up a program i got to start going through all these things this was something that was being done somewhere else and now it's just drop down to teachers once we saw they can do it then we're just going to leave it there mm -hmm. and it becomes a small little thing but when you have constantly these small little things then you start to wonder how come teachers and i, I we just speak of teachers because we're teachers i mean anyone in the education field why do they have to work 
harder to define their boundaries? Why do they have to rely on what their job description is? Well, because the system is constantly throwing stuff and burdening them with taking stuff on beyond the job description. And I would argue when I came back to this, this is why I... I, I really enjoyed listening and reading up on the Pareto Principle because it, it expands far beyond just human production. It's a really interesting uh, principle to look up. Like almost everything groups up like this where you're talking sports or whether you're talking the collection of the stars. It's a really uh, weird, weird is the wrong word. It's a really curious phenomenon that actually dictates almost all the outcomes of almost everything in our world and yet we never ever speak of it. And I really liked it, but it actually completely contrasts to one of the greatest texts that has influenced my teaching, which is Practical Wisdom by Barry Schwartz. And his argument is that all the people that excel at their jobs, what allowed them to excel at their job was nothing that was written in their job descriptions. Mm. That to make a great custodian in a hospital wasn't any of the things in their job description that allowed them to do it. It was humanizing the job. Knowing when to, the concept of bending the rule, knowing when to bend the rule to humanize to better everyone around you. And you know that this is probably the most, if not the top three or four most influential texts, TED Talks, books to impact my teaching because it still is, is important to me now as it was 23 years ago when I was reading it. And so it contrasts all this because to my heart, I know it's doing a little bit more or maybe it's not doing more. It's humanizing what yeah. you're doing. And that's something that I wanted to interject with right now, because you're talking about you're talking about two things that seem like they are contradicting each other. But in fact, they don't have to because humanizing the job is not the same as doing more. Mm. Um, so humanizing the job is, is your outlook. It is the way that you see your, your job. Now, is it something that you are going to do as soon as you leave from the building, you are switching it off completely. And we know, you know, if you are an educator, that is really, really difficult to do is switch it off completely. I mean, yes, you can set boundaries about how much schoolwork you are going to do at home so that you can maintain that work-life balance. But I don't know how much you can actually turn it off completely. And, you know, that that is something that that we can have this conversation about. And so humanizing the job is is even when you are in doing the job, are you doing it just a little bit differently with a little bit of a different mindset, a different outlook? Are you there to, you know, um, just hand out worksheets and read from a textbook and assign projects, or are you really there to ensure that learning is happening? I think that those are two different things. So I think that you can humanize a job without, um, uh, you know, like going above and beyond your boundaries. I think you can do the job effectively without uh, burning yourself out. And I think that is possible to do. I, I think that that needs to be helped out by the system. And I do think that we also need to set those personal boundaries. But I think that the practical wisdom still applies. And I think that uh, humanizing the job is something a little bit different. So, so there, there's an onus on our institutions to acknowledge, celebrate when teachers are humanizing the role and one can maybe argue rather than using that as a window to to say do more i call that when you were talking i call that i always call that the radar theory that once you got noticed for doing a few things you would be the first one to ask to do a few more yeah, things absolutely and then it becomes a trap and then you create this hesitation so right. people don't feel like the system's here to honor them and celebrate them feel it's like, like they're there to take trap advantage them. Of yeah, them. that's it yeah. exploit that's right um 
we've we've talked a little bit about this as 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 content creators um is that not not specifically in uh in the school but you have this feeling that everyone wants to tap into our podcast knowledge but no one wants to actually honor our podcast mm-hmm. and so there's a little bit of exploitation we see that you have a skill set so how can we just extract the skill set for free how can you benefit people around us for free? But we don't want to actually honor the work you're doing. It's a little different. So but it's- your experience has been different than mine because I have been begging for somebody to exploit my knowledge. And um, <laughs> but but I feel like it it is uh, sometimes a little bit threatening, depending on who is in their positions of leadership. And you see somebody who could probably lead some great professional development, and you don't feel like you want to ask them and so I think that 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 actually plays a little bit and and this is something that I've been thinking about is it is it is it harder already for a person of color Mm. to exist in a workplace without having to already work a little bit harder than everybody else to be noticed you know, and that's a question that I have reflected upon and asked myself of that, you know, like, why is it that I, I, I have this thing that I'm very public about and I have this skill set and I have the knowledge and understanding and I have offered many times to run a professional development session or to do this and to do that. But it's never it's never really taken up. In- you know, as, as I was commenting on the system, it reminds us that the human component of how the human uses the system, because I could probably argue in my 20 years of teaching, last year for me was probably the most refreshing mm-hmm. and invigorating, because uh, it was the combination of uh, honoring, celebrating uh, the work that my knowledge and the work I was doing. Like When you think about the magnificent microphone, our school has six copies. Mm-hmm. You think about uh, my principal was on our live broadcast, was willing to mention our podcast on the air. He was. Mm-hmm. And so it's been it, I would argue, um, for me on a personal level, that it, it's been maybe the most satisfying year last year of my teaching career because every component just seemed to be in, in the right place. And I've had very impactful and influential leaders before. But maybe last year was just, it was, it was special. And, and I, I think you'd have to argue it was special. You have the receipts uh, the broadcast, the podcast, uh, the book, our presentations, the awards, and all honored by our, for me, by the school. Yeah. And, that, and it comes back to your other questions. How much does me being white and male play into that? Yeah, and I'd like to think that it doesn't. I'd like to think that, that, that you know, you and I are on an even playing field. But, you know, that's not always the case. Um, I know, I know in my own experience anecdotally, um, I have to speak twice as loud to be heard. Can I, can I cut in for yeah. you on this one? Sure. Sorry. Cause I don't want to cut in as the white male, but I had so many notes <laughs> here because you brought that up. Thin ice I didn't really actually want to say, I didn't want to start the conversation. Was this because I was white male? I actually right. wanted to start the conversation. So I sort of retract that to bring that back because as a racialized woman, you always have to speak louder speak with more precision be more careful with your words you don't get to relax all things that i've aged and matured as a teacher i realized i was allowed to get away with for free it reminds me in the twitter world we had a little spat and what the spat was is someone was commenting on the use of the vernacular we were using in our tweets mm-hmm. and in our content and that we weren't relaxed enough and we weren't you know what uh being fun enough and we weren't just but the ultimate irony was is that as you commented, when you're white and you're male, you get to try to be funny 
and no one's going to call you on it. You get to be really relaxed and no one's really going to call you on it. You get to be really flimsy and careless with your words because it's just me and the boys chumming it up. And you commented and said, you want to know what privilege is? That's privilege. When you think that you can tell me, which was you, to just, you know, be a little bit more relaxed. You don't need to be so choice with your words, but your lived experience tells you that I don't get the, those liberties to be so free with my vernacular or how I present myself. Mm-hmm. And it really opened my eyes in that conversation. Not that I was the one that was on you, but it just, I, I needed that further insight to also really understand how I had evolved as a, as a teacher, because five years before I would have been loud, boisterous, obnoxious, thought you could do what I do. But now only now do I realize I was afforded all kinds of safeties in the systems to be that way. And how egregious of me to think that you should just do the same without being aware that I'm, I'm afforded these things. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back to hear this quiet quitting. That's right. Are, are you allowed to quietly quit? I could quietly quit. No one say anything. Exactly. Hey, and there the, you go. There's and Che then, being Che. So then if a person of color is quiet quitting, are they, are they now labeled as lazy? You know, are they labeled something different? And so that that is a very it's a very tricky thing to be playing with here. Um, and, and so it makes me think about whether it's a luxury or a privilege for, you know, for people to be quite quitting and who is a privilege for and who is it a a luxury for versus, you know, who is this something that could be like very harmful and detrimental? If I championed quiet quitting, mm-hmm. it might go. Oh, it would yeah. go somewhere it vastly go different. Somewhere. Than if uh, if myself or somebody else who is a person of car- color was to champion quiet quitting, or we should all just do the you know what is expected of, of us. Uh, obviously, uh, coming from two different people, it would appear to be two different ways. And so that that's another thing that I was thinking about in the class uh, in the education world, and what does that look like? So, yeah, lots lots of different topics here that we have covered in this um, quiet quitting. You were you were telling me that this isn't going to be a great topic. No, I stopped at thirty five minutes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe it's a good time for a break then. Thirty five minutes, I was out. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's what the contract says. <laughs> All right, let's come back with a little commercial. We'll be right back. Get your and you're listening to. Chain Path Show. And you're listening to the Chain Path Show. And this episode is brought to you by coffee, mm. espresso, mm-hmm. and decaf coffee. Oh. Because rest assured, as the year is starting, you'll want to have all three. world brian aspinall from codebreaker edu and you are listening to the che and pab show pab i have to concur this episode has been really really good uh maybe not because it's a perfect linear episode 
But I'm thinking, and I know mm-hmm. when we stop recording, I'm still going to be thinking. And I know in two days, I was like, I wish I had said this. Yes, but you know what? You know what's so good about uh, the Che and Pav show is that the conversation doesn't end when the recording ends. The conversation, this is just really the beginning of the conversation. And so uh, I hope that we are able to continue the conversation on Twitter, on Instagram, in other social media realms where we can talk to uh, listeners about their perspectives and what they thought of the concept and some of the things that we may have talked about. And uh, we love to learn and grow after our episode airs and um, have these authentic conversations with listeners. And so please interact with us um, once you have listened. That's right, Pav. We don't design these episodes as the end of the conversation. No. Can I can I throw something out here? Of course you can. Um, typically, and this is sort of one of my new goals for the year, is stop with self-deprecating humor mm-hmm. as a white male. Because oh. it's too easy to do. It's too easy. So when you made that joke that you're back here for this and this, I was going to say, well, you're back here for PAF, which is funny and true. But I, well, maybe it's not funny. Maybe it's not true. But I was like, this is the type of vernacular that I'm deciding I want to drop because it's too easy. Back to our conversation before, it's too easy for the white male to make self-deprecating humor when, oh, you're shaking your stick. When the system allows, affords me this position, when I do this self-deprecating humor, when in the long run I'm not going to be penalized for it, where maybe if someone of, of, who was racialized were to make such a joke, it would be held on to. Like, this is where I'm starting to realize how much of my uh, personalities are just, ah, it's Che, it's Che being Che, Che being Che, where other folks, I'm realizing, it doesn't become Che being Che becomes, ah, uh, it becomes, I got you moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, it's just a personal goal. No, that's. I think that that's a great goal to have. Uh, can I? Can I be open with you? I never thought. I never knew if you were actually being serious about that, or or you know, which my self-deprecating making, humor. Yeah, I didn't. I never thought of that as self-deprecating. I always thought of it as uh, flattering to you. No, I always thought you were teasing me. No, <laughs> on a jam Bab show, <laughs> we would lose eighty-seven percent of our audience. I always questioned, is he, is he, does he, is he truthful or is he making fun of me? <laughs> I left it there because I was like, oh, I don't know, either way it works. I can always pretend like it's flattering. People love the chain, chain path banter back and forth. They don't want us yes. to get along all the time. They want a little bit of tension right there. Yeah, the, this is tension, all right. <laughs> but as this episode was going on, a lot of the things we talked about reminded me of sort of one of those goals, and I hadn't really shared that with you publicly. Mm-hmm. That that something I, I've been thinking about as my own learning's been going on. How easy is it? Now this is really off topic from today, but how easy is it for me to take a shot at myself when mm. other folks around me maybe don't don't have the luxury to be so cavalier with their own personalities, or and then so. I is as I maybe maybe I'm not totally sure, but while I'm not totally sure, I'm gonna try to, and you have to help me along the way. Hold off from making jokes that put myself down because I think it's too easy for me to do it. Can I also add that it's a it's sometimes a little bit tricky because um, sometimes those self-deprecating jokes um, are not actually jokes. I mean, I'm not talking about coming from you. I'm talking about in in other people, perhaps, you know, when people make self-deprecating jokes about themselves, there's there's another layer to it. And there's a lot underneath that um, in regards to mental health Mm. that needs to be taken a look at. So I think that 
um, that sort of level of self-deprecation that people may exhibit um, may be a cover for a lot that's going on underneath. And, and I don't think that is something that should be taken lightly. It so I commend you. Mm-hmm. I commend you for, for setting that goal for yourself and for sharing that with everybody. Um, and I'll hold you to it. I think it sort of comes with our, our, a lot of our conversations around uh, privilege and power and a lot of the vernacular that I'm allowed to use. And I, had, I hadn't questioned it before. So I'm glad you brought that up. This isn't me making a defined statement that everyone should stop. Mm-hmm. But I just feel... And you're... I think it's the imposter syndrome was sort of the, the jump point of this learning. I There's many a time where I don't feel confident. But uh, for me, I don't feel comfortable using that term now because it, it's like, how fast can I ascend to grab that term? You know, that's right. a, a strong one that I, I dropped ages ago. But let's get back to uh, quiet quitting. Pat, we've been talking about quiet quitting. I also wrote in my notes, it's time to redefine what is extracurricular. Yes. Because we get into just following the that quiet quitting is ultimately just following your job description. And we can argue then we better redefine our job descriptions or we better actually ask ourselves, shouldn't our job descriptions be thorough enough, detailed enough from a place of love that there are enough to ensure great teaching is being done? You know, we had this conversation once when we were talking about um, toxic productivity. If our school is funding our schools properly, then I should be able to buy all the great books to, to support a great, healthy classroom library like, right. my, like my school does. So if you're a teacher online and you've got to go out and buy 65 of your own books, yes. well, I would call that extracurricular. Absolutely. And I'd also ponder then our system's not quite where it needs to be if we need to rely on teachers to, to buy these extra items in order to get these rich learning spaces. So there's got to be a definite cohesion of what's expected of the individual and as schools what do you do when teachers do that do we celebrate that was our whole content of that toxic productivity if we're celebrating this this is potentially toxic i maybe don't necessarily have the personal funds as much as i would love to to buy a hundred brand new books to add to my class library Mm -hmm. and what are we saying as a whole if teachers are doing this if we need teachers to do this talk about an inequality within our system how are we monitoring that you could even argue teachers that are living in an urban area versus a rural area that have it's not necessarily how much money you're making but how much uh living expense do you have and then it becomes a whole plethora of things you gotta to digest so as i was thinking of that i was back to extracurriculars and when you brought that there's if we're talking about job titles, we need really, when we talk about teachers doing more, we better really define what more is. Because yeah. more is not just clubs. It's not just running your sports team. It's not just running your lunchtime club. It's teachers that um, going home and they're reading other books. When I think of other jobs that I've had, I didn't go home and read up on those other jobs that I had. And I, and I don't know if other people, I'm not saying that other people in other jobs don't have to do that or don't do that. I'm just talking about my lived experience. That only in teaching did I go and, devote additional time outside of teaching to bettering that craft. I would call that extra curricular. When I go shopping and I go through the dollar store and I'm buying things for my girls and I say, oh, stop here. Let me grab this. Oh, let me grab that. That's extra curricular, even dedicating a little shopping time, a little bit of money. This is extra curricular. I think we really need to expand and broaden the definition of what extra curricular is because I think it would come back to that Pareto principle. It would break down some of the walls of what teachers are doing more versus others. Because I think the the measuring points for what we are using to gauge what teachers are doing more in the building are very, very archaic and very, very 
uh, minuscule in what we're using to gauge. Our assessments aren't very accurate. They're very, very narrow. Mm -hmm. And I would love to broaden that scope of what is extracurricular and then intertwine it with a new definition of quiet quitting because the expansion of what the job description should be really needs to be expanded or honored and celebrated or challenged because if our job descriptions really aren't good enough to provide the quality education then it comes back to your original point then why are we removing resources at such a torrid rate where we don't have school physical education teachers where we don't have school librarians like embedded all day long teaching and, library. And, and what really bothers me is that when you look at best practices, when you look at the data, when you look at the research, all of these things, the physical education, the recess, the, the special education, these are all things that we need more of in education. And so why are they being cut? It cannot be because of redundancy, because we already don't have enough people that are fulfilling these roles, right? So if it is money, then we need to push for the money. We need to push for the funding. We need to be collectively pushing for that um, fully. And I do 100% completely agree. I love the concept of expanding the definition of what it means to be extracurricular. What do the extracurriculars entail? Um, Because as you mentioned, it's not just the time factor. It's not just the amount of hours that you are able to give to the school before and after the school hours. It is also monetary. It is also in terms of your professional development. How much of that professional development development are you doing on your own volition versus what is being provided for you? I have worked in other industries. I've worked in pharmaceuticals. I've worked in human resources. All of the training I ever needed was done during the hours that I was in the building between my nine to five. I never needed to come in before or after to do any of those things. This was nothing that was sent home to me. I say, here, read these books, make sure you have them read before you come to school on Monday and uh, and you'll be adequately trained for your job. It never worked that way. All of the training I ever needed to do was happened during the time that I was in the building. And so why why is it so... And I get it because we're in front of the students for a certain amount of time. Something needs to change. Um, the, you're, I think you're right in redefining what the contract says. If, if, if uh, extracurriculars, if running a team or a club or something is so important, then it needs to be written into the contract. It cannot be something that is just done on a voluntary basis. And then you really have to take a look at who is going to be able to provide that and, and, there are many different people that come into the school building to teach, to, to work as staff. Um, I think about parents. I think about people with young children. I think about people who don't have the help to be able to take care of the kids and they have to pick them up from daycare or they have to go get them from wherever they are spending their day. And I think about myself having to do that when my, my children were younger and uh, how much stress it would have caused for me to be able to run an after-school program when I had to do all of these things when I got home um, versus when I was without children or now that my children are a little bit older and can spend some time at a friend's house or at their grandparents' house or something like that or can even be home for a couple of hours at a time, um, how much easier it is for those people. And so it is monetary, it is time, it is um, professional bandwidth, and I'm talking about mental bandwidth and emotional bandwidth, um, that those are all things that we have to consider as part of the extracurricular. So I thank you for bringing that up, Che. That's definitely an important part of this conversation. I don't know where to go from here. 
I don't know either. Um, it's, I feel like I touched on all of the things that I really wanted to passionately talk about in this uh, conversation, but I know that the conversation is not over because, because there's got to be more that people want to add to this. So I don't know. Maybe we can uh, do our swag bag here unless you feel like there is something else that we need to discuss. No, I'm in the, I'm in the same space as you. You brought yeah. me off into new tangents. Um, I went a little random in some thoughts, and you could ultimately argue that that's, that's the key to learning. It doesn't need to be necessarily linear and where right. we wanted to go. If I started to think and reflect and then come up with a plan and act upon it, although we don't know if I've acted upon it yet. I'm still by the mic. We'll see. Yeah. Then that, that's key. And, and I, I knew I wanted to talk about the Pareto Principle. I knew I needed to talk about Barry Schwartz because I did see them as, as a bit of a contrast. And obviously our conversation just reunited the idea that there's got to be some humanization or acknowledgement of the humanization of these roles. And I think, I think it's like going through the, trying to go through all of this and, and what's the wheat and what's the chaff. And it's, it's nuanced and it's complicated, like quiet quitting. So yes, we are all about defining roles and setting boundaries. We know our board sent an email out to all parents that said don't expect teachers to be responding to emails on the nights and the weekends. Right. So that's a systematic change and sending the messaging that, that we got to pause here. You can't necessarily just this. This is part of it. One could make you the argument that this is the school enforcing a quiet quitting mentality. And rather than telling the, the, the general workforce or the general population, that people are quietly quitting. It's about working in cohesion is like quiet quitting and we can agree it needs a, a better definition or a better uh name it's not something is one against the other one's quiet quitting on the other one's setting and sticking to their boundaries and if 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 and if those boundaries are inhibiting progress then the the rules and regulations of that job or the job description needs to be uh enhanced and if it needs to be enhanced, then there's got to be some support to go with it. We can't just add 10 jobs because we've seen this in education for years. This is why the simple things like attendance and IEPs, there's more work on the homeroom teacher. We've expanded the job requirement, but not expanded the resources and the system-wide support. So when I think back to the board sending that mass email out, there, there's changes to be made and you have to really work this out. Because I think you said it best at the beginning, Pat. This is social emotional learning. This is what we all profess to have seen so clearly now. Mm-hmm. Yep. The rain is gone. <laughs> Clever. Um, <laughs> well done. And so, how are we going to maintain it? And this is what you talked about also, Pat, before I get to a little swag bag or cut me off is this um, so you talked about sustainable. So if the learning we took from COVID isn't sustainable, then did we really learn it? And so all this self-professed performative talk about social emotional learning is we better define these things appropriately because when you give false, false titles, we're already setting everyone up for failure because we're not willing to address the issue because we're not looking at the issue. We're trying to address that people are somehow quitting when one could probably argue through the course of time, most folks have done what their job has asked of them. Mm-hmm. And now we're just a little bit more aware of what are the burdens and costs of doing more for nothing. I think we've all had the window to see that. Right. And, and we now have also had the mirror to see the toll it's taken on us. You know, you can't compare apples and oranges. Well, we can now. Yeah. And what were the, the oranges is that COVID time when you had time to yourself 
a little bit more time. And not that teaching was easy during that time, but it really gave us two distinct lifestyles to compare and see what we wanted to do. I can't believe what my pace was before COVID when I returned back from COVID. I said, I cannot believe the amount of driving I'm doing. I cannot believe the amount of nights I'm out super late. I can't, I can't fathom. That's what I was doing for five years beforehand. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It gave us an opportunity to really reflect and look deeply at what our practices were like and reevaluate whether that's what we want to keep doing in order for our our own health, our mental and our physical health. And so I think it is very important to begin to set those boundaries and then hopefully the system will support and uh, meet us halfway and and we'll get somewhere with this. Not weaponize no, people not weaponize. now after the fact. Oh, That's now that right. we've learned all this about social emotional learning, now that I see you sort of just defining what, what's important to you, we're going to weaponize this against you. We're blowing right. up in your face. That's all right. right. Pavanini, say before I go to a little swag bag? No, I'm ready for that swag bag. Let me get the music going. There, there, it is. there we go. So my swag bag, which of course is not the definitive learning, but it's something that Pav and I had a little conversation with in the break. He said, here's a couple of points that'll help us solidify what this very long 55-minute conversation was that could have been condensed down into 10 minutes, but we went past the quitting time because that's what we do. We humanize the show, the Staff Room Podcast. Oh, the cha- I did it this time. I did it this time. The Chain Pav Show. Our swag bag, uh, redefine and better title what quiet quitting is. This is weaponization. This is exclusivity. This is turning people against each other. And my second part, which is linked to this, is this is a partnership. This is about all of us really redefining what it is we need to order better ourselves. This is the whole person, regardless of where you're working or what your role is in regard to that work. In education work, everyone has a different role. And so, We didn't talk much about the dynamic the other way, but there is the other way. When do parents get to disconnect? When do teachers need to stop sending messages and homework per se Uh Uh, to allow parents and family space to have their time to quietly quit from school time? So it is definitely a partnership with system and every stakeholder. There needs to be open lines of communication redefining these jobs if people are just doing their jobs and then properly compensating and creating an infrastructure that allows you to redefine the job and my last one Pav, which you know comes back to that theme of stories is humanizing everything no no one has quit we're being human and we're supposed to be here for the human race and the key to education is of course humanizing everyone we've seen blade runner that's what it's all about <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much, Che, for that swag bag. A great recap of our conversation. Um, and, and hopefully, or maybe, you came up with some different, uh, some different swag bag items. Please share that with us if, you, you know, if there were some points that stuck out to you during this conversation about quite quitting. And all those moments will be lost like tears. Like tears in the rain. In rain. <laughs> That's from uh, Major League. League of their own. <laughs>